Good morning and happy morning to you. It is Tuesday, the 27th of April, 2021. I'm so glad that you are here with us. I'm so glad to have this time. It is back from the brink time. I'm Todd Brinker. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. And so um, we will get on with the news of the day. News of the day. News of the day. Uh, let's see. Stuff going on. You know, um, the uh, one of the headlines for today has been uh, how uh, how Barack Obama's first or his eight years sort of shaped Joe Biden's first 100 days. I think that Joe Biden came in thinking, here's the things that we didn't get done that I really want to jump on. And uh, and I'm going to seize the day and go about it. And so he has been fairly activist in trying to get a lot of things done in his first hundred days. So um, and he's, he's still getting fairly good rankings, um, although uh, uh, it's funny, there, there's a certain amount of um, uh, violent distaste coming from the right in terms of the things that he's doing and, and, and trying to to to, um, you know, control some of the narrative, I think, within the public. Um, there's a certainly, um, you know, whenever there's a, a conservative in the in the White House, the Democrats, um, you know, do everything they can to to sort of block their policies and their 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 uh, their um, uh, sort of direction and 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 speech about the direction that the country might be going in, and vice versa, right? When the when the um, uh, more liberal um, or the Democratic uh, president is in, then the the GOP tries to do the same thing. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that's kind of going on. And so, uh, you know, how much of that's real and how much of that's imagined by the, the players is, is uh, I guess, up for everybody to choose from themselves. Here's Aaron. Let's see. Let's get her in here. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Taco Tuesday. Yeah. Hey, that's a good idea. You've planted the seed. Hmm. <laughs> Taka taka taco Tuesday. Um, so, uh, uh, President Biden has ordered a fifteen dollars minimum wage for federal con- contractors. So, if you have a contract with the government, you must pay pay your employees a minimum of fifteen dollars an hour. Um, you know, it's an area that he has direct control over, as opposed to, I know there's some states that have passed laws similar to that, and others who have not. And so. Uh, I guess it depends on which side of which border you live on as to uh, what your minimum in- income is. Um, I think some of the results of that have been similar to the uh, issues where they're, you know, forcing grocery stores to give hero pay to employees in, in certain t- cities. And grocery store chains have said, well, then we're going to close a few grocery stores because if we raise our, our employee costs that much, then that's a losing business for us. And uh, so I think there'll be some unintended results of that, but we'll see how it all works out. You know, in states like California, and I don't know who else, if anyone has this rule, but in California, um, your lowest paid exempt employee has to make at least twice what the minimum wage is. And so if you have exempt employees who are making $28 an hour, $25 an hour, mm-hmm. um, when the when the um, minimum wage is raised to $15, then, then those people have to go up to 30, the equivalent of $30 an hour or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, for full-time work, which it's, so it's not only the minimum, minimum wage that's impacted. It mm-hmm. is, it is others. And what, that, what ends up happening is, um, 
those employees if they if the business doesn't have enough money to be able to double you know to to double that minimum wage then those employees go back down to being non-exempt hourly workers yeah. um, and very often then they are expected to do a whole lot more work and a whole lot I mean the same work rather in a whole lot less time um, because exempt employees are not bound by a time clock. They, right. they work and they don't get overtime. Yeah. Together. You know, no. as, as one of my, uh, uh, bosses used to say, I'm paid by the year, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll spend as much time as it takes to get it done and done. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, but a lot of his employees were not paid by the year. They were paid by the hour and, uh, you work too many hours. You know, was it in California? If you work over eight hours in a day or over 40 hours in a week, then you're into overtime. And, yeah. uh, uh, so yeah, you know, and then, and then employers have to say, well, is it worth hiring another employee with the, you know, additional costs of, of benefits and things like that for the employee rather than keep paying overtime? And so they have to, you know, do those kind of calculations all the time, but you're right. It's, it's not just the, the hourly employees in California, but it, you know, impacts the business in lots of ways. Some businesses are doing great and rolling in cash, and they can absorb those costs. A lot of businesses are not. You know, they balance their biggest expense is usually their employees. Uh, you know, employees and and uh, and facilities rentals are are expensive, and um, or payments. You know, if they own it or whatever. But um, you know, the uh, paying for your employees is is a big cost in in any business, and uh, when a politician just decides that uh, people in a certain industry or people who fit in a certain category are now going to indiscriminately get more money, the business has to do some recalculations and say, well, is our business viable anymore? Can we still do that? Um, Yep. You know, I mean, that's not unexpected, I guess, but I think that sometimes the politicians, the politicians will run on, hey, I got people more money. They won't run on, hey, I got a bunch of people fired because businesses went out of, out of, out of business because I forced them to pay more money, you know? Yes. Yes. So, so in a, in a sense, they don't care, which is unfortunate because we should, their interests should be aligned with our interests. And if they're not, then there's something wrong, Right. You know, those yes. people representing well, their us is being the hero. Yeah, their interest is being the hero. And so they can pat themselves on the back and ignore unintended consequences and uh, and yeah. blame it all. I'll blame them all on on business. Right. So it's right. the grocery store's fault. Yeah. If they close. Not yeah, their this, fault look at this terrible them. business, this this terrible business run by business owners who are probably, uh, you know, from a different political party than me. Wink, wink. Um, you know, because they're the business owners, and uh, and uh, how terrible they are, right? And it's not my fault that they that we priced them out of out of being able to do a business here. Yes. Um, you know, don't, so, what don't... are the answers to the trivia questions? Oh, yeah. Let's actually answer the questions this time, since we forgot completely yesterday. So, yesterday's trivia question was: Who was the youngest actress to win a Best Actress Oscar? Now, when we went to break yesterday, you said you thought you knew who it was. Do you know who it is? I think it's Tatum O'Neill. I would have thought that, or I was going to say Shirley Temple, but uh, actually or it was Jodie Foster. Marley Matlin was 21 years old for Children of a Lesser God. Oh. I think that um, that some of them won special Oscars. They used to have like special Oscars that they would do sometimes in categories for kids. You know, like I think that Shirley Temple, she was like the biggest earner in Hollywood for a few years when she was like you know nine. 
Um, and I think she got a special Oscar. I don't think she got like Best Actress Oscar. And then today's question was, who was the youngest uh, actor to win a Best Best Actor Oscar? Any thoughts? Um, Haley Joel Osment. That would have been a good guess, but nope. Nope, it was somebody quite a bit older than Haley Joel Osment was when he was a thing. Uh, Adrian Brody. He was 29 when he won for The Pianist. Oh. Or The Pianist. Interesting. Say, do you say pianist or pianist? It's pianist. That's how I said it. So, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So, um, you know, sort of in keeping with the Oscar theme, since the Oscars were this week, I thought those would be good questions. Uh, and I mentioned, too, that Marley Matlin was actually there at the ceremony and gave away a couple of awards. So uh, so that was a little tie-in. I didn't see if Adrian Brody was there. I don't think so. So it's funny how certain actors, you know, are like really hot and doing great for a while. And then you kind of forget them. Like, I don't I can't tell you the last time I saw Adrian Brody in something. He probably has been in things. I just, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I you got to think that, you know, once you have a certain amount of money, you know, and you maybe he's living on a beach in Milan or is there a beach in Milan? Maybe he's living on a beach in uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, in Sicily. And uh, I don't remember. remember if, I don't remember if Milan is coastal. I think it's mountainous. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, I mean, he's only on 42. He's in Crete, you know, yeah. in, a, in a palace. You know, never having to work again. I have no idea. Yeah, and he's forty-two. <laughs> he had a he had a, a part in Peaky Blinders, um, and he's had at least one movie a year, every year, sometimes more. He played Salvador Dali in Midnight in Paris back in twenty eleven. I love that movie. Midnight in Paris was great. Um, you know, let's see, Manhattan Night, Bullethead, Airstrike, The French Dispatch, El Tanto, Blonde, and. An untitled Tom George film are in post-production. 2021, The French Dispatch. He was in something called The French Dispatch. Oh, it's uh, it's it hasn't been released yet. It's upcoming film. It's a comedy drama by Wes Anderson. Where is Adrian Brody from? Uh, let's see. He's an American actor and producer. Received widespread recognition for uh, Roman Polanski's The Pianist. Won an Academy Award for Best Actor. Youngest one, blah, blah, blah. So he's so, American. So American. He's from Born in Woodhaven, Queens, New York. Oh. Son of Sylvia Placci, a photographer, and Elliot Brody. His mother oh. is uh, Hungarian-American, and his dad is Polish-Jewish-American. So I, I assumed that he was European. I don't know why. I did, too. Um, I think probably because he played a, a a Polish person in the film that he was famous for, right? Uh, yeah, and he it was, just seems you know, to have that sensibility. He just seems... Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you were saying the place he's at. Where is he? He's actually probably in Virginia Beach if he's at a beach, you know? Right, right, yeah. exactly. He's on the Jersey Shore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's funny, but, you know, if, if you'd asked me, I would have said, yeah, he's probably, uh, you know... Uh, Belgium or something, you know, he's Bel- uh, uh, Dutch or something, you know. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I never would have guessed. Yeah, yeah, the guy's from New York, New York, which actually makes sense because I saw him in some movie once where he had like that new, or maybe it was his his uh, part on Peaky Blinders where he sort of sounded. No, in Peaky Blinders he would have been English there. So yeah, I don't know. Yes, I don't know unless he was playing. I don't remember the character he played. Maybe he was playing. You know, they had characters from um, different places there too. So. 
Yeah. That's a good show. It's very violent, though. It is. It is. It's it's sort of like um, uh, Sopranos set in early 1900s or late 1800s, you know, industrial uh, England, right? Yeah. Well, um, it's after World War One. It's between right. World War One and World War Two is yeah. when it's set. Yeah, yeah, so early 1900s. In Manchester, I think. Yeah. And Manchester each season jumps a little bit too. They don't they don't pick up exactly where they left off. Like different seasons will jump forward a few years. Yep. Um and I guess they've got one the, more season that yet to be released, right? I think so. And part of the plot is that the the main character um uh he uh he's got some PTSD because he was in the war. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has some psychological issues just like Soprano. So, hmm, he thinks. Anyway, that would, you know, uh, yeah. And then, of course, they just lost, um, I'm blanking on the actress's name, but uh, so I don't know how, you know, if, if played they the had, matriarch. Yeah. yeah, whether that is, um, you know, whether anything had been filmed for the last season of that or whether, uh, you know, she, they're going to have to write around her death or, or what's going to happen there. Um, but uh, was it uh, uh, Helen McCrory? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyhow. So, let's see. Do they? How do they? Really, yeah. I mean, she. They say. Well, this through season five. Isn't there one more season coming out on that though? Honestly, I don't know. But, I mean, I, I would assume so, but I, I don't know for a fact. Yeah. There's only five seasons thus far, and I could have sworn they were going to do one final season. I read about that, but but now I'm seeing here anything that they're not. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, yes, they are doing another season. Apparently, Rowan Atkinson's maybe, Atkinson may be playing uh, uh, Adolf Hitler because they're, they're cre- <laughs> creeping up on World War II now. Oh, that's hilarious. Mr. Bean yeah. is going to be Adolf Hitler? That's fantastic. Yeah, apparently that's they're saying awesome. it, it's unknown whether uh, McCrory had filmed any scenes for the final series before her death, so... Uh, we don't know whether those whether you know there's anything in the can or not. Um, so, yeah, it's it's excellent, and it's uh, you know it's it's uh, while there are inaccuracies, it's based on historical characters. So it's it's uh, there's you know some some tie in to actual persons, which is interesting. So, yeah. So yeah, there will be one more season. That's good. I'd like to see them wrap things up and and uh, see what happens to the to the folks in the Peaky Blinders world. I remember when um, you, you and Tobin had been watching this, and you guys told me about it. And I started to watch the first episode, and just like I don't know, I guess it wasn't the right mindset or something. I went yeah, and I shelved it, and never came back to it, or didn't come back to it for a long time. I did come back to it, but eventually when I came back to it, it was like this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and watched it like back to back to back, you know, right up through the uh, most recent season. Yeah. Have you ever had shows like that where, you know, on first look, you're like, eh. And then and then sometime later you come back and for whatever reason you're you're in the right mindset and you just start watching and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yes. Game yeah. of Thrones was that way for me. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. I just recently did that with Sopranos. We were talking about Sopranos. When Sopranos was on, I had no interest. I was busy. My life was... You know, I didn't have time to sit down and watch it. And, you know, I watched stuff, but that just didn't have any interest to me. None at all. And yet, uh, you know, I mean, I'd seen bits and pieces of some episodes and just went, eh. Um, and then uh, just made a concerted decision. I'm going to sit down and watch the first episode and see what I think because it's been raved about so much. And I took one episode and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is great. And I'm hooked. And I watched it, you know, 
uh, basically straight through the end over the course of, you know, month and a half, two months. So, uh, you know, and, and again, very, very violent, you know, that's the world that they're, they're dealing with here, but, uh, but also some really funny scenes and, uh, and characters that you don't typically see in, in, uh, in television. So I think that's what makes them unique, you know? So, so shifting to things a little more serious, um, how often should we shower? No, we already talked about that. Yeah, yes, I've got a follow-up. I've got a follow-up. What? You have a follow-up? Yeah. Well, you know, you said uh, you, that that there's that maybe showering daily and using harsh soaps is is not a good thing. So I just typed in a, on a Google search, "How often should you shower?" And apparently, about two thirds of Americans shower daily. But basically, experts say that every other day or every third day is fine, and that you know, for a full shower, that you maybe should just you know use a damp cloth to wipe down the uh, the stinky bits and uh and that you're probably fine that every other day or every third day is is fine all right well there you have it unless so. you're unless it's the summer and then it's yeah well i mean e- you know stinks. everybody has to take into account you know their personal situation again even if it's summer if you work and live in an enclosed air-conditioned space and don't really do anything um you know versus if you're out and about and you're you know sweating like a pig all day yeah you probably want to wash that off <laughs> You know, if, so, if you're having yes. acne break breakouts because you're you're you know like greasy skin is you know it's like yeah I mean come on you know just just have a little common sense here look at look look at yourself take care of yourself yeah don't be disgusting yeah yeah nobody likes pig pen <laughs> Charlie Brown you know if, if there's a cloud of stink following you around and just because you can't smell it doesn't mean we can't smell it exactly <laughs> you know? all right so but this is you know. Again, onto something that's a little more serious. Um, uh, one of Australia's most senior security officials has uh, said yeah. uh, liberal democracies must brace for war while searching for peace amid elevated global tensions. So this is the Home Affairs Department Secretary, Mike uh, Pizzullo, and he said the possibility of war is increasing. Um, and uh, you know, you can see this, and we've kind of talked about it, uh, that that China is beefing up their aggressions towards Taiwan because they don't recognize Taiwan as being separate, um, uh, and they have been engaging in more um, naval exercises in the South China Sea as well. Yeah. So today, as free nations, this is his quote: "Today, as free nations again hear the beating drums and watch worryingly." Worryingly, the militarization of issues that we had until recent years thought unlikely to be catalysts mm-hmm. for war. Let us continue to search unceasingly for the chance for peace while embracing again for the curse of war. Um, yeah. That's so, similar to something I think that uh, Churchill had said at one point in time. It's like, you know, uh, basically with searching for peace while preparing for war is the wiser course, right? Um Yes. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't disagree. I think that um, that, you know, Chinese, um, you know, the Chinese have been building up their their military and posturing um, the the actions that they're taking in um, in, uh, you know, Hong Kong uh, are indicative of what they want to do with with Taiwan. Um, We have said that we will protect Taiwan's independence and freedom, Um, you know, in recent talks as, as recent as like a week ago. 
um, uh, administration uh, people have been meeting in Alaska with Chinese, and the Chinese have essentially said that that you know we have no basis or grounds from which to criticize them. That we don't, we have no moral right to do that, and and you know they think they're taking the moral high ground, and or at least that's what they're you know pitching to the world, and because uh, we've made some uh, efforts to build up some um, uh, coalitions to to sanction Chinese for some of their actions with Uyghurs and people in in northern China that they kind of hide from the uh, the eyes of the world, and yet we are still seeing what's going on, and you know word sneaks out that of what they're doing there. And they don't care for that. They don't like a light being shined on their on their you know their uh, bad habits. Of course, you know in China they're showing you know their population videos of of people you know marching in the streets and and tearing into stores and complaining about race wars and and so their image you know the the, the average person on the street would look at that and think that our country is you know tearing itself apart at the seams as well. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're, we're giving them plenty of fodder on which to make their case. Um, but, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're on a collision course with them at some point, you know, whether, it, you know, certainly, well, certainly it, you know, economically. But uh, I'm afraid that it might also break out into actual fighting at some point. That's a concern for me. Well, and we've talked about the buildup of Russian troops along the Ukrainian border. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so. You know, so it's it's you know we're we're seeing um, uh, ugly forces, negative forces, dark forces uh, at work here. In, you know, around the world, it, it's yeah. it's really um, uh, these things are cyclical. And if you've ever read the book The Fourth Turning or Generations, they talk about um, that that this is a period of, and they predicted this a long time ago. These are statisticians, not Nostradamus. But um, that that there is an, an unraveling and a crisis, and we're in crisis in the crisis period, um, and similar crisis periods uh, through time have been, uh, you know, the American Revolution, the American Civil War, uh, World War uh, One, two, the Great Depression, that era, and then about every eighty years, there's something, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and you can see tensions rising, and I wonder. You know, I don't I don't trust this president to um, to be strong enough to be a deterrent for some of these dark forces. Also, I don't know if you heard about this, but John Kerry uh, let it slip to Iran that it was Israel who confirmed that that it was Israel who uh, engaged in the um, uh, cyber attack against their nuclear uh, power plants. Mm -hmm. And which is, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. Honestly, he needs to. He needs that was to a brain have, fart. Yeah, it's more than a brain fart. He knows better. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm horrified that he did that. Horrified. Yeah. yeah. Well, that basically so, gives them carte blanche to say we're going to attack. We're going to we're going to hit back. Right. Well, and Israel is our ally. Iran is not. I don't care how cozy you think you are to Iran. They are not the friends of the United States. Right. They still have yeah. people dancing in the streets singing "Death to America." Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You basically gave up one of our friends to one of our enemies, and you've given them now a an excuse, an open door to say, and now we're going to hit back at them. Um, you know, the uh, spe- specifically with cyber attacks and things where you're trying to to limit the technology of those who would do you ill. Uh, you know, yes. part of part of the the strength of being able to do that is them not really necessarily knowing who who specifically is doing it. And when you you know you give up a friend 
to to an enemy, basically you 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 screwed them over. And yeah, that is a an unforgivable mistake on his part. Um, and you hope that it was a mistake. You hope that it was not a an intentional decision to to uh, to you know leave Israel hanging out in the wind on an action that they took. Um, you know, you don't know. Now they may have taken action that the you know that the United States had said don't do, and they did it anyway because they felt it was in their best interest. But you know, if you have that kind of disagreement, then you talk about it together. You don't just you know hang your friend out out in the wind. Um, yeah, not not a cool move. Now John Kerry is denying that this ever happened, mm-hmm. uh, but um, uh, there have been calls for his resignation and they the, the GOP is they, you know the Republicans are demanding an investigation and I think it merit this merits an investigation mm-hmm. well he's denying you know? it happened I mean how where is that where's the evidence that's that would be my question is like I mean either he said it or he didn't we should have some record of that right yes well um, uh, yeah we'll see when the investigation um, there were leaked tapes and he's denying he's making he's denying it. I mean, but I don't trust his denial. I don't trust him farther than I can spit. Mm-hmm. So I'm eager to see what what happens with the investigation. Play the tapes. Play the tapes. Play the video. You know, it's just like the same thing when we're not sure what what a police officer has done or did in, in the you know, in 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 the street. Play the video. Play the tapes. Let the world see what you did or didn't do. Or at least let the investigators see. Maybe you don't need to let the whole world see. Depends on what it is. There are things that we, you know, there's reasons that the governments keep secrets, and and uh, I don't, I'm not one of those who says the government has to tell us everything they're doing, because some of that would be counterintuitive to them being able to do it. You know, there are things that have to happen behind closed doors, and uh, um, so I'm fine with that. But either way, uh, it needs to be looked at, because that's a ster- serious misstep um, on the world stage if that if that indeed happened. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, Jen Psaki is, you know, of course, she's refusing to answer any questions um, about the issue. Um, so, um, yeah, I hope that there is an investigation. I, mm-hmm. I don't you know, I don't I think President Biden is so weak a leader that um, his uh, officials are feeling emboldened to do their own thing. And I think that's that's what mm-hmm. we what Perry got caught doing. Yeah. I think that I, I don't think that that is the consensus of everybody and that he is a weak leader. In fact, I, I have heard some, some um, uh, more liberal leaning people than you come out and say that they're actually incredibly shocked and surprised at how um, uh, energized and effective a leader he seems to be and that he's not stumbling around like everybody thought the old man would and that they're very, um, shocked and pleased because they kind of expected it, I guess. Is the, so, well, so, but, you know, but what's happening is in their favor, right? I mean, so he is pushing forth a progressive agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, I would say that his handlers are pushing forth the project, a progressive agenda. I don't think it's coming from him at all. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with you that it's all his handlers any more than it is the handlers of a lot of presidents. Um, you know, in that that you know, whoever has the president's ear is is the way things go. Um, you know, 
which always shocked me, too, because everybody kind of viewed um, Trump as like, oh, well, Trump doesn't listen to anybody. He does what he wants to do. But, you know, who has his ear was his kids. And we always credited his daughter with being sort of the more moderating voice in his head. I don't think she was. <laughs> I don't think she was. I think she absolutely agreed with his policies for the most part. So, yeah. Kitty cats? Yes. <laughs> yes. I have to yeah. be careful where I step because the littles are little. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see them uh, now that they're a little more um, uh, acclimated to being part of the family. I would like to see them interact with our little wiener dog again. He was such a, a doting little like mother type reaction when they came over the first time. I mean, he wanted to be right there and make sure they were okay. It's true. See what they were doing. The other two dogs that we've got, we got three little wiener dogs and the other two were kind of like, you know, sniff, sniff, sniff. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Let's go lay down. But the one was just like, he just could not stay away. It was like immediately right there. Are they okay? Are they, what are they doing? You know, are they, had they moved to the, you know, <laughs> and there was, you know, there didn't, there really wasn't any aggression there. It was just like, he just wanted to be right there with them, right. You know, like touching them. You know? <laughs> it was really weird. You know, he was he was like licking on them, you know, almost like a mother cat would. It was funny. Would. Uh, so, aren't cats the best? Cats are the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. I tell you what, um, mine have taken to, like, when I come home from um, swim practice and stuff, they hear the car drive up, and they're waiting by the door when I walk in. And I almost can't walk in the door because there's three little wiener dogs, and you have to, like, push them out of the way Aww. with your feet to get in the door. So I have to stop put my stuff down and, and, and reach down and greet each of them before they'll like go, okay, now we can go trotting back into the house all happy because we, you know, he's home and we've greeted him and he's greeted us. And if I don't, they literally like will hover around my feet as I'm walking in until I set my stuff down and, and greet them. <laughs> they just like, nope, you've got to say hi to us. You've got to bend down and you've got to pet us. And of course they're, you know, they're wiener dogs. So they're like ankle high. <laughs> like good thing my back doesn't bother me too often. Right. <laughs> I say that it bothers me a lot, but but uh, I'm able to get down and, and and pet them and give them their attention. I guess I'm going to have to get a Great Dane so I don't have to bend over. You know, I could just you know, <laughs> like look him in the face and pet him while standing upright. Um, exactly. It's funny. We used to have a neighbor who had a Great Dane, and his name was Gus, and our littlest one is named Gus. And so you'd go out in the backyard and call for Gus, and you'd hear, and he's next door. And the two of them would like sniff at each other through the door. And once in a while when they were out in the front and big Gus was afraid of little Gus, you know, little Gus who weighs, you know, 12 pounds and, and, uh, and is six inches high and big Gus, who's four and a half feet high standing flat footed, uh, big Gus would run because little Gus has lots of energy. Big Gus would go like, that thing makes me nervous. And he'd trot away. (laughs) Well, uh, great Danes are gentle giants. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, Big are, Gus was I mean, beautiful. Yeah, he was a beautiful, like, solid gray. He looked like velvet. Beautiful dog. Is a beautiful dog, too. We've moved, but, I mean, he's, he, you know, I assume he's still there. Um, but, uh, wow, what a great dog he was. Is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. When you don't know the, the status, I assume he's still there. Like I said, yes. he, was, he was He was pretty young and, uh, you know... Uh, I, when, he, when we first moved in, I think he was probably less than a year old, so he was still a puppy. But he was, you know, his head was bigger than my dog's. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Uh, pretty funny. 
So, you know, it's um, funny. You mentioned the fourth turning, and I went, oh, yeah, I, I, I think I, I had heard about that, and I don't know that I've ever read it. So I went to go look and see, and, yeah, I, I own it. <laughs> I have it as a Kindle book and an audio book. So uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I think I have read that. It's just been a long time. It's a, it's a good book. Yeah. It, it really is. I think I'll uh, uh, that is... put it in my list for reread. Yes. And so, and what, and, and what these, what these uh, statisticians, Neil and Howe did is they looked for patterns and they found four recurring um, cycles and then the generations, the patterns of the generations within those cycles. And they're really, they do a great job of it. I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, their, their work really bears fruit. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's eerie. So they wrote mm-hmm. these, these books in the in the nineties, um, and uh, what they said and when what they said would be happening and when. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. based High on times, the awakening, is, unraveling, and crisis. Those are the cycles you go through. Yes. Dun dun dun. And crisis yes. would be from two thousand and eight to two thousand and twenty something, where it would peak. So we're yes. At at the end of the crisis cycle now, or we're going into the end of this crisis cycle where, where it gets the worst, right? Cause it keeps crisis means crisis goes bad. Well, and yeah. what happened in 2008? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. Was a crash. We, yeah, a absolutely. Absolutely. That was sort of the beginning of the bad cycle. The crises started. Yes. You said cycles. And I'm going so. like Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha, <laughs> Harley. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, he, I, I, they should have named each cycle something like that. You know, they they called it high awakening, unraveling, and crisis. They also called it first, second, third, and fourth crisis. These are statisticians. <laughs> yes, they are. They yeah. are, and they they named each one of the generations. Yeah, that exist the cycles. those cycles, and talk about kind of their, um, uh, you know, their the tendency, you know, the personalities of each one of those generations. Right. Um, and they're and they're really um, they're really spot on, honestly. Um, yeah, so yeah. Tobin had pointed this out to me in terms of the generations. I think that's why I got the book originally because uh, his recommendation and talking about the generational cycles um, and the the four major cycles that that you know whatever you're going to call each generation seem to cycle through. Um, so um, Gen X is a nomad uh, generation, which is so true. Um, they talk about he talk they they call uh, the baby boomers a profit generation, uh, and the millennials are a hero generation, mm-hmm. um, and they explain what that what each one of those mean. Um, and so yeah, what's critical uh, yeah, there is I the definition. The, you know the cause the name is sort of somewhat descriptive, but you really kind of need to read the book or at least read that section to get a feel for what they mean when they say you know nomads and heroes and prophets and artists for the. Oh, yeah. the general descriptions so but yeah good book yeah i'd forgotten about a lot of this so i need to go back and reread it again yep so yeah and they did the the research i, I mean they showed that like you know they talk about the most recent cycle that we're talking about right now with the um you know the silent generation would be the artists and that's your you know your uh world war ii world war one world war ii people or World War II people, rather, and then the prophets would sort of be the boomers that came out of World War II, right? And then the Gen Xers, the millennials. But that 80-year cycle that they that they describe, 
they actually researched searched it going back generations prior to that and looked at you know those generations compared to events happening in history and how how the different um, uh, groups reacted at different times and so this is based more than just one cycle that they're basing their their suppositions on yep so so i need to bug out a little bit early today we're almost uh we're almost time um yeah, we're almost to time, and we covered not one but two trivia questions today because yesterday we just kind of blew past it. So, you know, you've been really, really good about reminding and setting up the trivia question as we go to the break. I've been less good about actually giving the answer, so we've got to really stay on top of that. You know, it's like, yeah, 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 get the trivia question, and then uh, we just pretend like it never got asked, and then people are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I tuned in for the answer, man. So, that's right. You just have to listen regularly. Sometimes we hold up the answers for, you know, at the end of the week, we give you all the answers. Or in this case, on a Tuesday. So um, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your listening. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, be sure to subscribe and give us a good rating. Um, that helps us helps us immensely, and we appreciate it. Uh, I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everyone. I'm falling in love Feeling like I'm falling in love Feeling like I'm falling in love yeah. And I'm feeling like I'll never get enough